Section 25 of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part 25. Of Groundsel and Chickweed Cellars. On a former occasion, in the Morning Chronicle, I mentioned that I received a letter informing me that a woman residing in one of the courts about Saffron Hill was making braces and receiving only one shilling for four dozen of them. I was assured she was a most deserving character, strictly sober, and not receiving parochial relief. Her husband, my informant added, was paralysed, and endeavoured to assist his family by gathering green food for birds. They are in deep distress, but their character is irreproachable. I found the couple located up a court, the entrance to which was about as narrow as the opening to a sentry-box and on each side lolled groups of labourers and costermongers, with short black pipes in their mouths. As I dived into the court, a crowd followed me to see whither I was going. The bracemaker lived on the first floor of a crazy, fetid house. I ascended the stairs, and the banisters, from which the rails had all been purloined, gave way in my hands. I found the woman, man, and their family busy at their tea-dinner. In a large broken chair beside the fireplace was the old paralysed man, dressed in a ragged, greasy, fustian coat, his beard unshorn and his hair in the wildest disorder. On the edge of the bed sat a cleanly-looking woman, his wife, with a black apron on. Standing by the table was a blue-eyed, laughing and shoeless boy, with an old camlet cape pinned over his shoulders. Next him was a girl in a long grey pinafore with her hair cut close to her head, with the exception of a few locks in front, which hung down over her forehead like a dirty fringe. On a chair near the window stood a basket half full of chickweed and groundsel, and two large cabbages. There was a stuffed linnet on the mantelpiece, and an empty cage hanging outside the window. In front of the window-sill was the small imitation of a gate and palings, so popular among the workpeople. On the table were a loaf, a few mugs of milkless tea, and a small piece of butter in a saucer. I had scarcely entered when the mother began to remove the camlet cape from the boy's shoulders, and to slip a coarse clean pinafore over his head instead. At present I have only to deal with the trade of the husband, who made the following statement. I sell chickweed and groundsel, and turfs for larks. That's all I sell, unless it's a few nettles that's ordered. I believe they're for tea, sir. I gets the chickweed at Chalk Farm. I pay nothing for it. I gets it out of the public fields. Every morning about seven I goes for it. The grunsel a gentleman gives me leave to get out of his garden. That's down Battlebridge Way in the Chalk Road leading to Holloway. I gets there every morning about nine. I goes there straight. After I've got my chickweed I generally gathers enough of each to make up a dozen halfpenny bunches. The turfs I buys. A young man calls here with them. I pay tuppence a dozen for em to him. He gets them himself. Sometimes he cuts them at Kilburn Wells, and Notting Hill he goes to sometimes, I believe. He hires a spring barrow weekly to take them about. He pays fourpence a day, I believe, for the barrow. He sells the turfs to the bird shops and to such as me. He sells a few to some private places. I gets the nettles at Highgate. I don't do much in the nettle line. There ain't much call for it. After I've gathered my things, I puts them in my basket and slings them at my back, and starts round London. 
low maraban i goes to always of a saturday and wednesday i goes to st pancras on a tuesday i visit clerkenwell and russell square and round about there on a monday i goes down about covent garden and the strand on a thursday i does high maraban on a friday cause i ain't able to do much on that day for i gathers my stuff on the friday for saturday i find low maraban the best of my beats i cry chickweed and groundsel as i go along i don't say for young singing birds it is usual i know but i never did i've been at the business about eighteen year i'm out in usual till about five in the evening i never stop to eat i'm walking all the time i has my breakfast afore i starts and my tea when i comes home here the woman shivered i turned round and found the fire was quite out i asked them whether they usually sat without one the answer was we most generally raise a pennyworth somehow just to boil the kettle with i inquired whether she was cold and she assured me she wasn't it was the blood she said that ran through her like ice sometimes i am a-walking ten hours every day wet or dry the man continued i don't stand nice much about that i can't go much above one mile and a half an hour owing to my right side being paralysed my leg and foot and all is quite dead i goes with a stick note the wife brought the stick out from a corner of the room to show me it was an old peculiarly carved one with a bird rudely cut out of wood for the handle and a snake twisting itself up the stick End note. i walk fifteen miles every day of my life that i do quite that excepting sunday in course i generally sell the chickweed and grunsel and turfs all to the houses not to the shops the young man has cut the turf gathers groundsel as well for the shops they're tradespeople and gentlefolks houses together that i sells to such as keeps canaries or goldfinches or linnets i charge a halfpenny a bunch for chickweed and groundsel together it's the regular charge the nettles is ordered in certain quantities i don't get them unless they're ordered i sells these in three penneths at a time why saturday is my best day and that's the reason why i can't spare time together on that day on saturday i dare say i gets rid on two dozen bunches of chickweed and grunsel on the other days sometimes i goes out and don't sell above five or six bunches at other times i get rid on a dozen that i call a tidy day's work for any other day but a saturday and some days i don't sell as much as a couple of bunches in the whole day wednesday is my next best day after saturday on a wednesday sometimes i sell a dozen and a half in the summer i does much better than in winter they gives it more to the birds then and changes it oftener i've seed a matter of eight or nine people that sell chickweed and grunsel like myself in the fields where i goes to gather it they mostly all goes to where i do to get mine they are a great many that sells groundsel about the streets in london like i do i dare say there is a hundred and far more nor that taking one place with another i takes my nettles to ladies houses they consider the nettles good for the blood and drinks them at tea mostly in the spring and autumn in the spring i generally sell three penneths of them a week and in the autumn about two three penneths the ladies i sell the nettles to are mostly sickly but sometimes they ain't and has only a breaking out in the skin or in their face the nettles are mostly taken in low maraban i gathers more than all for great titchfield street the turfs i sell mostly in london street in maraban and john street and carburton street and portland street and burners and all about there i sells about three dozen of turfs a week i sells them at three and four a penny 
I charges them at three a penny to gentlefolks, and four a penny to tradespeople. I pays tuppence a dozen for em, and so makes from a penny to tuppence a dozen out of em. I does trifling with these in the winter, about two dozen a week, but always three dozen in the summer. Of the chickweed and grunsel I sells from six to seven dozen bunches a week in the summer, and about four or five dozen bunches in the winter. I sells mostly to regular customs, and a very few to chance ones that meet me in the street. The chance customers come mostly in the summer times. Altogether, I should say, with my regular and chance customers, I make from four shillings to five shillings a week in the summer, and from three shillings to four shillings in the winter. That's as near as I can tell. Last Monday I was out all day, and took a penny halfpenny. Tuesday I took about fivepence halfpenny. Wednesday I got ninepence halfpenny. Thursday I can't hardly recollect, not to tell the truth about it. But, oh dear me, yes, I wasn't allowed to go out on that day. We was given to understand nothing was allowed to be sold on that day. They told us it was a Thanksgiving day. I was obliged to fast on that day. We did have a little in the morning, a trifle, but not near enough. Friday I came home with nigh upon sixpence, and Saturday I got a shilling, and threepence after when I went out at night. I goes into Leather Lane every Saturday night, and stands with my basket there, so that altogether last week I made three shillings and a penny halfpenny. But that was a slack week with me, owing to my having lost Thursday. If it hadn't been for that, I should have made near upon four shillings. We felt the loss very severely. Prices have come down dreadful with us. The same bunches as I sell now for a halfpenny, I used to get a penny for nine or ten years ago. I dare say I could earn then, take one day with another, such a thing as seven shillings a week, summer and winter through. There's so many at it now to what there was afore, that it's difficult to get a living, and the ladies are very hard with a body. They tries to beat me down, and particular in the matter of turfs. They tell me they can buy half a dozen for a penny, so I'm obligated to let em have three or four. There's a many women at the business. I hardly know which is the most, men or women. There's pretty nigh as much of one as the other, I think. I'm a bed-sacking weaver by trade. When I worked at it, I used to get fifteen shillings a week regularly, but I was struck with paralysis nearly nineteen years ago, and lost the use of all one side, so I was obliged to turn to summat else. Another grand seller told me on the business, and what he got, and I thought I couldn't do no better. That's a favourite linnet. We had that one stuffed there. A young man that I knew stuffed it for me. I was very sorry when the poor thing died. I've got another little linnet up there. I'm particular fond of little birds, said the wife. I never was worse off than I am now. I pays two shillings a week rent, and we has, take one time with another, about three shillings for the four of us to subsist upon, for the whole seven days. Yes, that, take one time with another, is generally what I do have. We very seldom has any meat. This day week we got a pound of pieces. I gave fourpence for em. Everything that will pledge I've got in pawn. I've been obliged to let them go. I can't exactly say how much I've got in pledge, but you can see the tickets. Note. The wife brought out a tin box full of duplicates. They were for the usual articles, coats, shawls, shirts, sheets, handkerchiefs, indeed almost every article of wearing apparel and bedding. The sums lent were mostly sixpence and ninepence, while some ran as high as two shillings. The dates of many were last year, and these had been backed for three months. End note. I've been paying interest for many of the things there for seven years. 
I pay for the backings twopence halfpenny. That is a penny for the backing, and a penny halfpenny for the three months' interest. I pay sixpence a year interest on every one of the tickets. If it's only threepence, I have to pay a halfpenny a month interest, just the same. But nothing for the ticket when we put it in. The number of duplicates was twenty-six, and the gross sum amounted to one pound four shillings and eightpence. One of the duplicates was for fourpence. Nine were for sixpence. Two for ninepence. Nine were for a shilling. Two for one shilling and sixpence. One for one shilling and threepence. One for one shilling and sevenpence. And two for two shillings. The great discomfort I should like to have would be something more on our beds. We lay dreadful cold of a night on account of being thin-clad. I have no petticoats at all. We have no blankets. Of late years I haven't had any. The warm clothing would be the greatest blessing I could ask. I'm not at all discontented at my lot. That wouldn't mend it. We strive and do the best we can, and may as well be contented over it. I think it's God's will we should be as we are. Providence is kind to me, even badly off as we are. I know it's all for the best. There are no pitches or stands for the sale of groundsel in the streets, but from the best information I could acquire, there are now one thousand itinerants selling groundsel each person selling, as an average, eighteen bunches a day. We thus have five million six hundred and sixteen thousand bunches a year, which, at a halfpenny each, realise eleven thousand seven hundred pounds, about four shillings and twopence per week, per head, of sellers of groundsel. The oldest hand in the trade is the man whose statement and likeness I give. The sale continues through the year, but the groundsel season extends from april to september in those months twenty-four bunches per individual seller is the extent of the traffic in the other months half that quantity giving the average of eighteen bunches the capital required for groundsel selling is fourpence for a brown wicker basket leather strap to sling it from the shoulder sixpence in all tenpence no knife is necessary they pluck the groundsel chickweed is only sold in the summer and is most generally mixed with groundsel and plantain. The chickweed and plantain together are but half the sale of groundsel, and that only for five months, adding to the total amount £2,335. But this adds little to the profits of the regular itinerants, for when there is the best demand, there are the greatest number of sellers, who in winter seek some other business. The total amount of green stuff expended upon birds as supplied by the street sellers, I give at the close of my account of the trade of those purveyors. Many of the groundsel and chickweed sellers, for the callings are carried on together, who are aged men, were formerly brimstone match-sellers, who didn't like to take to the lucifers. On the publication of this account in the Morning Chronicle, several sums were forwarded to the office of that journal for the benefit of this family. These were the means of removing them to a more comfortable home, of redeeming their clothing, and, in a measure, realising the wishes of the poor woman. Of Turf-Cutting and Selling A man long familiar with this trade, and who knew almost every member of it individually, counted for me thirty-six turf-cutters to his own knowledge, and was confident that there were forty turf-cutters and sixty sellers in London. The addition of the sellers, however, is but that of ten women who assist their husbands or fathers in the street sales but no women cut turf and of ten men who sell but buy of the cutters the turf is simply a sod 
but it is considered indispensable that it should contain the leaves of the small dutch clover the shamrock of the irish the most common of all the trefoils the turf is used almost entirely for the food and roosting place of the caged skylarks indeed one turf cutter said to me it's only people that don't understand it that gives turf to other birds but of course if we're asked about it we say it's good for every bird pigeons and chickens and all and very likely it is if they choose to have it the principal places for the cutting of turf are at present shepherd's bush notting hill the caledonian road hampstead highgate hornsey peckham and battersea chalk farm was an excellent place but it is now exhausted fairly flayed of the shamrocks parts of camden town were also fertile in turf but they have been built over hackney was a district to which the turf cutters resorted but they are now forbidden to cut sods there hampstead heath used to be another harvest field for these turf purveyors but they are now prohibited from so much as sticking a knife into the heath but turf cutting is carried on surreptitiously on all the outskirts of the heath for there used to be a sort of feeling i was told among some real londoners that hampstead heath yielded the best turf of any place all the commons and greens paddington camberwell kennington clapham putney and so on are also forbidden ground to the turf cutter oh as to the parks and primrose hill itself round about it's another thing nobody it was answered to my inquiry ever thought of cutting their turf there the people about if they was only visitors wouldn't stand it and write too i wouldn't if i wasn't in the turf cutting myself the places where the turf is principally cut are the fields or plots in the suburbs in which may be seen a half illegible board inviting the attention of the class of speculating builders to an eligible site for villas some of these places are open and have long been open to the road others are protected by a few crazy rails and the turf cutters consider that outside the rails or between them and the road they have a right to cut turf unless forbidden by the police the fact is that they cut it on sufferance but the policeman never interferes unless required to do so by the proprietor of the land or his agent one gentleman who has the control over a considerable quantity of land eligible for building is very inimical to the pursuits of the turf cutters who of course return his hostility one man told me that he was required late on a saturday night some weeks ago to supply six dozen of turfs to a very respectable shopkeeper by ten or eleven on the sunday morning the shopkeeper had an aristocratic connection and durst not disappoint his customers in their demands for fresh turf on the sunday so that the cutter must supply it in doing so he encountered mr blank the gentleman in question who was exceedingly angry with him you d blank d poaching thief said the gentleman if this is the way you pass your sunday i'll give you in charge one turf cutter i was informed had within these eight years paid three pound fifteen shillings fines for trespassing besides losing his barrow and so on on every conviction but he's a most outdacious fellow i was told by one of his mates and won't mind spoiling anybody's ground to save himself a bit of trouble there's too many that way which gives us a bad name some of the managers of the land to be built upon give the turf-cutters free leave to labour in their vocation 
others sell the sods for garden plots or use them to set out the gardens to any small houses they may be connected with and with them the turf cutters have no chance of turning a sod or a penny i accompanied a turf cutter to observe the manner of his work we went to the neighbourhood of highgate which we reached a little before nine in the morning there was nothing very remarkable to be observed but the scene was not without its interest although it was nearly the middle of january the grass was very green and the weather very mild there happened to be no one on the ground but my companion and myself and in some parts of our progress nothing was visible but green fields with their fringe of dark-coloured leafless trees while in other parts which were somewhat more elevated glimpses of the crowded roof of an omnibus or of a line of fleecy white smoke showing the existence of a railway testified to the neighbourhood of a city but no sound was heard except now and then a distant railway whistle the turf-cutter after looking carefully about him the result of habit for i was told afterwards by the policeman that there was no trespass set rapidly to work his apparatus was a sharp-pointed table-knife of the ordinary size which he inserted in the ground and made it rapidly describe a half-circle he then as rapidly ran his implement in the opposite half-circle flung up the sod and after slapping it with his knife cut off the lower part so as to leave it flat working precisely as does a butcher cutting out a joint or a chop and reducing the fat small holes are thus left in the ground of such shape and size as if deep saucers were to be fitted into them and in the event of a thunder shower in droughty weather they become filled with water and have caused a puzzlement i am told to persons taking their quiet walk when the storm had ceased to comprehend why the rain should be found to gather in little circular pools in some parts and not in others the man i accompanied cut and shaped six of these turfs in about a minute but he worked without intermission and rather to show me with what rapidity and precision he could cut than troubling himself to select what was saleable after that we diverged in the direction of hampstead and in a spot not far from a temporary church found three turf cutters at work but they worked asunder and without communication one with another the turfs as soon as they are cut and shaped are thrown into a circular basket and when the basket is full it is emptied on to the barrow a costermonger's barrow which is generally left untended at the nearest point we can trust one another as far as i know said one turf man to me and nobody else would find it worth while to steal turfs the largest number of men that my most intelligent informant had ever seen at work in one locality was fourteen and that was in a field just about to be built over and where they had leave among the turf purveyors there is no understanding as to where they are to cut wet weather does not interfere with turf procuring it merely adds to the weight and consequently to the toil of drawing the barrow snow is rather an advantage to the street seller as purchasers are apt to fancy that if the storm continues turfs will not be obtainable and so they buy more freely the turf man clears the snow from the ground in any known locality the cold pinching his ungloved hands and cuts out the turf as green i was told as an april sod the weather most dreaded is that when hoar-frost lies long and heavy on the ground for the turf cut with the rime upon it soon turns black and is unsaleable foggy dark weather is also prejudicial for then one man said 
the days clips it uncommon short and people won't buy by candlelight no more will the shops birds has gone to sleep then and them that's fondest on them says we can get fresher turf to-morrow the gatherers cannot work by moonlight for the clover leaves then shuts up i was told by one who said he was a bit of a botanist like the lid of a box and you can't tell them one of my informants told me that he cut twenty-five dozen turfs every friday the great working turf day of the year on an average he sometimes cut on that day upwards of thirty dozen seventeen dozen on a tuesday and six dozen on the other days of the week more or less as the demand justified but six dozen was an average he had also cut a few turfs on a sunday morning but only at long intervals sometimes only thrice a year thus one man will cut two thousand four hundred and ninety six dozen or twenty nine thousand nine hundred and fifty two turfs in a year not reckoning the product of any sunday from the best information i could acquire there seems no doubt but that one half of the turf cutters twenty exert a similar degree of industry to that detailed and the other twenty procure a moiety of the quantity cut and disposed of by their stronger and more fortunate brethren this gives an aggregate for an average year of five hundred and ninety eight thousand five hundred and sixty turfs or including sunday turf cutting of six hundred thousand each turf is about six inches diameter at the least so that the whole extent of turf cut for london birds yearly if placed side by side would extend fifty-six miles or from london to canterbury in wet weather six dozen turfs weigh on an average one hundredweight in dry weather eight dozen weigh no more if therefore we take seven dozen as the usual hundredweight a turf cutter of the best class carries in basket loads to his barrow and when his stock is completed drags into town from the localities i have specified upwards of three and a half hundredweight every friday nearly two and a half every tuesday and about seven hundredweight in the course of a week the smaller traders drag half the quantity and the total weight of turf disposed of for the cage birds of london every year is five hundred and forty six tons of the supply of turf obtained as i have described at least three-fourths is sold to the bird shops who retail it to their customers the price paid by these shopkeepers to the labourers for their turf trade is tuppence and tuppence halfpenny a dozen but rarely tuppence halfpenny they retail it at from threepence to sixpence a dozen according to connection and locality the remainder is sold by the cutters on their rounds from house to house at two and three a penny none of the turf cutters confine themselves to it they sell in addition groundsel chickweed plantain very generally and a few supply nettles dandelion ground ivy snails worms frogs and toads the sellers of groundsel and chickweed are far more numerous as i have shown than the turf cutters indeed many of them are incapable of cutting turf or of dragging the weight of the turfs of the experience and customers of a turf cutter a short but strongly built man of about thirty with a very english face and dressed in a smock frock wearing also very strong unblacked boots gave me the following account my father he said was in the earl of blank's service and i was brought up to stable work 
I was employed in a large coaching inn in Lancashire when I was last employed in that way, but about ten years ago a railway line was opened, and the coaching was no go any longer. It hadn't a chance to pay, so the horses and all was sold, and I was discharged, with a lot of others. I walked from Manchester to London, for I think most men, when they don't know what in the world to do, come to London, and I lived a few months on what little money I had, and what I could pick up in an odd job about horses. I had some expectations when I came up that I might get something to do through my lord, or some of his people. They all knew me, but my lord was abroad and his establishment wasn't in town, and I had to depend entirely on myself. I was beat out three or four times, and didn't know what to do, but somehow or other I got over it. At last, it's between eight and nine years ago, I was fairly beat out. I was taking a walk, I can't say just now in what way I went, for it was all one which way but I remember I saw a man cutting turf, and I remembered then that a man that lived near me lived pretty middling by turf-cutting. So I watched how it was done, and then I inquired how I could get into it, and, as I'd paid my way, I could give reference to show I might be trusted. So I got a barrow on hire and a basket, and bought a knife for threepence at a marine shop, and set to work. At first I only supplied shops, but in a little while I fell into a private round, and that pays better. I've been at it almost every day, I may say, ever since. My best customers are working people that's fond of birds. They're far the best. It's the ready penny with them, and no grumbling. I've lost money by trusting noblemen. Of course, I blame their servants. You'd be surprised, sir, to hear how often at rich folks' houses, when they've taken their turf or what they want, they'll take credit and say, Oh, I've got no change, or I can't be bothered with halfpence or you must call again. There's one great house in Cavendish Square always takes a month's credit, and pays one month within another. Note, pays the first month as the second is falling due. End note. And not always that very regular. They can't know how poor men has to fight for a bit of bread. Some people are very particular about their turfs, and look very sharp for the small clover leaves. We never have turfs left on hand. In summer we water them to keep them fresh. In wet weather they don't require it, they'll keep without. I think I make on turf nine shillings a week all the year round. The summer's half as good again as the winter. Suppose I make three shillings a week on groundsel and chickweed, and snails and other things. That's twelve shillings. But look you here, sir. I pay three shillings and sixpence a week for my rent. It's a furnished room. And one shilling and sixpence a week for my barrow. That's five shillings off the twelve shillings and I've a wife and one little boy. My wife may get a day, at least every week, at charring. She has one shilling for it, and her board. She helps me when she's not out, and if she is out, I sometimes have to hire a lad, so it's no great advantage the shilling a day. I've paid one shilling and sixpence a week for my barrow. It's a very good and big one, for four years. Before that, I paid two shillings a week. Oh, yes, sir, I know very well that... At one shilling and sixpence a week I've paid nearly fourteen pounds for a barrow worth only two pounds two shillings. But I can't help it. I really can't. I've tried my hardest to get money to have one of my own, and to get a few sticks. Note, furniture, end note. Of my own, too. It's no use trying any more. If I have ever got a few shillings ahead, there's a pair of shoes wanted, or there's something else, or my wife has a fit of sickness, or my little boy has or something's sure to happen that way, and it all goes. 
Last winter was a very hard time for people in my way, from hoar-frost and fogs. I ran nearly three pound into debt, greater part of it for house rent and my barrow. The rest was small sums borrowed of shopkeepers that I served. I paid all up in the summer, but I'm now fourteen shillings in debt for my barrow. It always keeps me back. The man that owns it calls every Sunday morning, but he don't press me if I haven't money. I would get out of the life if I could, but will anyone take a groom out of the streets? And I'm not master of anything but grooming. I can read and write. I was brought up a Roman Catholic and was christened one. I never go to Mass now. One gets out of the way of such things, having to fight for a living as I have. It seems like mocking going to chapel when you're grumbling in your soul. Of Plantain Cellars Plantain is sold extensively and is given to canaries, but watercress is given to those birds more than any other green thing. It is the ripe seed, in a spike, of the great and the ribbed plantain. The green leaves of the last-mentioned plant used to be in demand as a styptic. Shenstone speaks of plantain ribbed that heals the reaper's wound. I believe that it was never sold in the streets of London. The most of the plantain is gathered in the brickfields, wherever they are found, as the greater plantain, which gives three-fourths of the supply, loves an arid situation. It is sold in hands to the shops, about sixty heads going to a hand, at a price, according to size and so on, from one penny to fourpence. On a private round, five or six are given for a half penny. It is, however, generally gathered and sold with chickweed, and along with chickweed I have shown the quantity used. The money value of the several kinds and quantities of green stuff annually purchased in the streets of London is as follows. 6,696,450 bunches of watercresses at a halfpenny per bunch, 13,950 pounds. 5,616,000 bunches of groundsel at a halfpenny, 11,700 pounds. 1,120,800 bunches of chickweed and plantain, 2,335 pounds. 660,000 turfs at twopence halfpenny per dozen, 572 pounds. Total, 28,557 pounds. Of the above amount, it may be said that upwards of £14,000 are spent yearly on what may be called the bird food of London. End of section 25